must thank the, uh, the music group again for leading us in worship. Uh, some great sounds coming out of the group. Uh, as Emma mentioned, we're now getting to the end of our series, Renew Together, Renewal Together. Uh, so this is the final one. And I'm going to be talking on respectful relationships, which of course is very important uh, as, as Christians, how we relate to people. Um, so just to illustrate this, I've got a short video clip. It's a section of a, of a movie. And this, hopefully you'll see how this helps us to, to illustrate how we don't always have control over what other people hear. Excuse me, can I get a headset? Certainly. Thank you. Uh, miss? I'll be right there, sir. Where's your headset? She's busy right now, but it's coming. For crying out loud, you're missing important plot points. Ma'am? Could you give me a second, sir? I maybe get that headset, please. Do not raise your voice to me, sir. I wasn't raising my voice. Okay, just calm down. I am calm, I just want my headset. Sir, our country is going through a very difficult time right now, and if you're not gonna cooperate... I don't know where a headset ties into patriotism. Is there a problem here, sir? I, I don't think so. Can you come to the back of the plane with me so we can have a talk? A talk about what? There's not a problem. This the steward is just... Keeps Flight attendant. The flight attendant keeps ignoring me when I ask... Calm down. I am calm. What is it with you people? You people. Oh, now, wait a minute. I don't mean you people. I mean you people. Sir, I will not tolerate any racist behavior on the plane. This is a very difficult time for our country. I, I know that. I'm not a racist. I just want to watch the movie. I'm only going to say this one more time, sir. Calm down. I'm calm! All rise. What do you think? Oh, not guilty. It's a no-brainer. Mr. Busnick, in case 723, assault and battery against a flight attendant, I find you guilty. Hmm. <laughs> I'm sure it's relevant to what I've got to say. I did enjoy it though. Um, I came across a little quote the other day that says, we can only be responsible for our part of the conversations, conversation, speaking the truth and love, pursuing peace, extending kindness and sharing our perspective. So we can only be responsible for our part of the conversation. And I was meant to have a powerful, oh, there it goes, look at that. Got up there. So let us pray. Lord, I pray this morning that you would uh, speak to us through these words, Lord. That you would help us to be respectful in how we relate to people and the world around us, Father. And Lord, we pray that you would do your renewal amongst each one of us this morning. 
Amen. You may remember the, the popular TV series a little while ago uh, called Mission Impossible. Now I'm talking about the, the, uh, the proper version, not the one that had Tom Cruise in it. This is the TV series, so it sort of dates me a little bit. But in, that, in Mission Impossible, each series, this voice would come and say to the actors, your mission, should you choose to accept it, blah, 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 whatever it is, and at the end, this tape will self-destruct in 10 seconds. A well-known phrase, a very popular TV series. But the question I have to ask you this morning is, are we prepared to accept our mission given to us by Jesus himself? Do we even know what that mission is? Are we familiar with the last words of Jesus? He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So first of all, the credentials for this mission are really high. Not just a TV producer, not just some junior person, it's the person with the authority under heaven and earth. And the mission that he gave to us was, Go, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. I keep forgetting there. Uh, that's it there, right there. Um, now, we don't, that's not all we do. We do other things as well. But we must be careful that we don't, uh, we don't, we don't confuse the, mess, the mission with the support structures. So our mission is not to make us feel more comfortable. Our mission is not to sit around all day singing spiritual songs, although they are very encouraging. Jesus' mission is about people. We are to connect with people and introduce them to our Saviour, who is waiting to forgive and reconnect them to God himself, now and into eternity. The reconciliation of all things under the lordship of Jesus Christ. In other words, the kingdom of God is now amongst us. We have a mission that may seem impossible, but with God leading the way and having our backs, it will be achieved. We need to remember, however, that we are the, that this is God's mission and we are the junior partners in this mission. How we did things in the past is not always the best for today. And as Rod mentioned last week, we do, how we do mission is changing. No longer is it measured by the oceans we cross or how distant we travel. Mission is no longer the exclusive domain of the Western church sending people out. The Western world is now also the focus of mission. Did you know that in Nelson, the Anglican Bishop of Nelson is a man from Kenya. He came over here originally to, to uh, lead the Anglican mission work that's based here in Christchurch, sending mission people out around the world. You may remember that we had a young Japanese man speak here a, a couple of years ago, and he is now, he's gone from Japan to Austria as a missionary. It is changing. Mission is on our doorsteps as well as overseas. And the majority, majority of us here will probably never go overseas to share the gospel as missionaries. 
but we can still be part of God's mission. The method will change. The words we use will be translated, but the message is unchanging. So the method will change, the words will change, but the message is unchanging. The day of large crusades has predominantly passed. The door for the gospel in New Zealand is through relationships. If you want to connect with people, it's primarily going to be on a one-to-one -one basis, developing genuine, transparent relationships, being ready to share something from your life of what Jesus means to you, sharing our life and living a consistent life of faith before them. Now, this is easier when people are the same as us. It's easy to connect with someone who is similar to you, looks similar, same background. But what about people that you come across, someone from the other side of town, someone who is not the same, who is different in looks, culture, or faith? Unfortunately, we can often make those people the other. Now, what do I mean by the other? Well, it's a sociological term referring to people who might be different to us, people who keep, we keep distant from us because we decide they're not like us. The process of othering occurs when we turn fellow humans into abstract entities we can distance ourselves from or treat as less than human. So how do we transition away from seeing and treating people as the other and move towards a genuine love and acceptance of people that are different but who are loved by God? How do we talk to people that hold different views or that are from a different faith? You see, we live in a, in a very fractured world characterized by fear, misunderstandings, and lack of trust. In the public arena, we have lost the art of respectful dialogue. We become tone deaf, shouting at each other across a chasm of intolerance and lack of respect. Or we hide behind the anonymity of the keyboard or radio talkback. The world seems to be breaking back into tribal groupings after many years of globalization, but at the same time moving closer through technology. We isolate people or nations as the enemy, sometimes with good reason, but often based on generalizations, stereotypes, or distorted ideology. One of the world's leading democratic nations is almost on the brink of self-destruction because they're so divided, polarized, and unable to respectively dialogue together. Even within families, we find it hard to be respectful in our talking, and this was highlighted particularly with the uh, vaccination and COVID uh, uh, programs earlier, and a couple of years ago and, and earlier this year. So we, that's divided families, families weren't able to talk and discuss it rationally. And I wonder whether we've also got the stage where we've lost the practice of hospitality to strangers. However, we can grow in love when we extend compassion, rooted in empathy to all people, because no one enjoys feeling like the other. Now, who might the other be in our neighbourhoods? I've got some, just some thoughts here, depending on where you stand in, in the neighbourhood. It might be the two Māori youth uh, that are congregating around the park with their hoodies on. We often see them as different to us, 
and we have a fear or a misunderstanding, so we, we distance them. It could be the Chinese older couple walking down the road. We stay away because we know they don't speak much English, so we treat them as the other. Or the Muslim woman with their head coverings on. Different socioeconomic groups, the gay community, non-believers. We don't associate with people who are not believers. We won't go to their parties, their barbecues, or uh, have them to our home. And the last category, the old white men, I put this in for Alan Curry, um, that there is a, a growing group of uh, us older white men. Any of these groups could be in a neighbourhood. They may work alongside us or they might play in our sports team. We can treat people who do not think or look the same as us as the other. Language is used to dehumanise, to objectify. When we constantly treat people as an object or less than human, they easily become the enemy or the other. It becomes increasingly difficult to love them then, accept them the way Jesus demonstrated. And we witnessed this with uh, the period of uh, President Donald Trump and the Latino people in America. And we see this today in the Ukrainian conflict. Russians all around the world now become the enemy or the other. Our attitude toward Muslim people is still less than open and accepting of them. We need to treat all people in a respectful way. We must model how Jesus showed respect to people. We need to remember that we once were the others toward God. In Colossians 1 it says, And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled. We were enemies of God before he sent his son to save us. Perhaps someone would die for a good person, but Jesus died for the other. In John's Gospel, he speaks of Jesus, the word of God, moving into our neighbourhood. God took on our humanity, moved in with us as the word made flesh, loved, forgave, and called God's enemies us to be God's friends, and commanded us to go out and welcome our enemies as God in Christ has welcomed us. Now, unfortunately, the church has had a history of treating people as other. We have not always opened our doors for everyone or prayed for our enemies. From the Crusades, to the treatment of people of colour, to women, to the gay community. We try to excuse ourselves by saying that these things perhaps happened in another age, or these were the actions of the institutional church or fringe groups, not actual Christians like you and me. And yes, there is an element of truth in that, but the world doesn't see that distinction. The world looks on and doesn't differentiate between the institution and the individual. So when there's some bad press about the church, the world sees church equals Christians equals you and me. If there's bad news about Christian schools, that equals Christians, it equals you and me. And we've become good at refuting other religions or cultures, being able to show them how wrong they were or how inferior they, inferior they are to Christianity. But remember, God did not send his son into the world to refute religions or cultures, but to seek and to save those who are lost. Our mantra was, our mantra was, become one of us, then you are welcome. 
which is very different to what we at Opawa want to be. We want to be an easy place to enter and a safe place to stay, a place where we connect with each other and engage with God. Or another way of saying this, where I came across, is we belong, believe and become. People are looking to see what difference Jesus really makes. Instead of coercing, arguing or frightening people to faith, we need to begin with respect and love. I had a friend, I've shared this before with our home group, but I had a friend who is not a believer and whose siblings are not as well. And as a family, they would often holiday up near Nelson. However, one particular time, our friends had turned up at the camping ground in a new vehicle. And on the number plate was the number 666, that we all know, of course, is the, the sign of the beast. Our friend's sister had become, recently become involved with a Christian group or Christian people and had obviously read the Bible that had these numbers in or read books about these numbers because when our friends turned up, she immediately told our friend, her brother, that he had to sell the vehicle straight away, get rid of it. Now, obviously, he didn't do that. Uh, when he refused, from that point on, she refused to have anything to do with him or his family and that's over 20 years ago. You can imagine what he thinks about religion, about Christianity. We need to learn to do things differently. We need to be transformative, respectful, not judgmental. Let the same mind be in you as is in Christ Jesus. John 3.16, that well-known verse says, God so loved the world. It all belongs to God. No one is foreign in his expansive embrace. There may be people who are strangers to me. They're not strangers to God. There may be those who are enemies of me or my country, but they're not enemies of God. For God so loved the world. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. How will they, the world, know you are my disciples, but by your love? Love not only in words, but in actions and in truth. So far as it depends on you, be of good standing with your neighbour. Now, we read in John chapter 4, a story about Jesus meeting a woman at a well. In this situation, he could have been disrespectful. He could have treated her like the other. And so we're just going to read this passage together. If you can see it up there, it's also on your newsletter, but you probably need a magnifying glass to see that lettering as well. I'll just get some bigger words for me. <laughs> Can't find, so I have to use the little ones. Okay. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw, what, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our brother Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as he did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, 
But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In this well-known encounter, we see Jesus in respectful relationship with the other. Jesus invites this other to share what they know of God and to give what they have to him. And just a, a brief summary of the background between the Samaritan and Jews. They had a terrible history. Uh, there was violence, grudges and abuse throughout um, the, the relationship between these two uh, ethnicities. And around the, the, around the year 722 BC, the Assyrians entered Samaria, removed thousands of Jews, replacing them with settlers from Babylon, Syria and other nations. And these foreigners had introduced pagan gods and had married Jewish uh, people who had remained. The southern Jews, the people of Judah, never forgot these marital and religious concessions and they hated the Samaritans for them. So Jesus decided to leave Judea and head towards home, which was Galilee. But rather than follow the usual route, he takes the geographical yet culturally incorrect path through the heart of Samaria. This is a path that many Jews, especially rabbis, would never have taken. The woman at the well was female, was morally suspect, and was a Samaritan. We could say that the Son of God went out of his way, quite literally, to spend time with her, because at that time, a Jewish man does not initiate conversations with an unknown woman, a Jewish man does not publicly talk with a woman, a Jewish man does not share anything with a Samaritan, a rabbi should never acknowledge a woman as equal. Unlike the prevailing attitudes at the time, Jesus views this woman positively. He treats her kindly and with respect. Yes, they were from different people groups, different faiths, different communities. Yet Jesus carefully and gently crosses the traditional boundaries to talk with her. This is the longest conversation that Jesus has with anyone in the Gospels. Now what about this woman? Well, the woman at the well is initially cautious and hides her story from Jesus. We know very little about her except that she had uh, been married five times. Women had very few rights and divorce was easy for men. Women could not legally propose marriage or initiate divorce to a man. Since marriage was an exchange of property, the woman was technically the property. A woman's livelihood and that of her children, if she had any, depended on having a husband. Maybe her first husband died or divorced her unfairly. Whatever the reason, after being married once or at worst still twice, a woman probably had little choice between living in the streets or agreeing to another marriage with increasingly dodgy men. And yet Jesus takes her seriously. He listens respectfully to her beliefs, discusses faith with her, and points to the renewal of life, living water that he alone can give. She joyfully accepts and hurries back to her people to tell them. Although she was most likely ostracized by her community, many listened to her and came to the well where they met the one who brings renewed life. And the passage goes on to say that they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We have heard for ourselves and we now know that this man really is the saviour of the world. What do we learn from this interaction at the well on a hot day in Samaria? Jesus illustrates respectful relationships to us. 
He is compassionate. He asks for help. He asks the woman for help. He accepts her gift of water. He talks with her, listens to her, and graciously meets her in, in her anxiety and defensiveness. He talks theology with her as an equal and hears what she believes. He offers her more, the living water of the Spirit that will grow within her as she commits to the giver of life. Jesus isn't condescending or aggressive. Jesus engages with respect. When Jesus asks her for water, she responds cautiously and wisely. She explains the things he clearly doesn't understand about her culture. As she explains the customs, culture, and religious heritage, she calls him, Sir, reminds him that he is a Jew and she is a Samaritan. So how does Jesus respond? He talks and asks questions, gently and humbly. He praises some of the faith he finds in this woman. He treats her with gentleness and respect. What is the outcome? Well, the great outcome is that she and many in her community accept and believe that, is, that Jesus is the saviour of the world. They become followers of Jesus. But here's the interesting thing. They follow Jesus as they are. They don't become Jews. They, they follow him without needing to worship in a new temple because Jesus' focus is not on where people worship but on the heart of worship and spirit and truth. And they come without denying their Samaritan culture or their whakapapa. And this reminds me that when we lived in Indonesia, where we lived, there were many Christian and Christian theological colleges, many Bible schools in this particular city. But their posture was not towards the large Muslim population, but towards nominal Christians. To the Christian, Muslims were the other and would have to leave their Muslim community, their culture, and become like the Christians to be saved. However, there were some Christians in Indonesia that had a great love for the Muslim neighbours and were prepared to cross cultural boundaries to share the love of Christ with them. Many of these believers were once Muslim themselves, but they had decided to keep within their Muslim community. So they still prayed at the mosque, although they now prayed in the name of Jesus. They kept the times of prayer and knew the Quran, but believed the Bible as the word of God. If someone came to faith, they encouraged the new believer to remain in their local Muslim community so they could reach and connect with family and friends, which is not easy. Samaritans described themselves as followers of the true and better faith. They worshipped one God, followed scripture, practiced worship in the right places, they followed a strong set of honour and shame expectations, particularly for women, and believed their prophet was returning at the end of the age. While Jesus, sorry, these are similar characteristics of contemporary followers of Islam today. And while Jesus never met a Muslim, we may sense how Jesus would have responded to Muslims today by observing how he responded to the Samaritans. Unfortunately, some church leaders today will treat Muslims as the Jewish leaders of the day treated the Samaritans. Jesus' disciples needed some convincing when they went to the Samaritan village as they wanted to pray that fire would come down on the Samaritans. But as James, the brother of Jesus, writes in James chapter 3, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, 
then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Kindness and real dialogue always point to Jesus himself. We need to learn to engage like Jesus engaged, respectfully, humbly and genuinely. I would love to see each one of us at Opawa Baptist experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit working through us in our workplaces and neighbourhoods and in the public square. I would love to see all Christian communities known in our societies as communities of healing, justice and wisdom. And I want us to be known by our love for one another. Respectful relationships of people who are other in some way is in some way is essential to the coming of gospel renewal. To seek honest, committed, respectful relationships in which we can give and receive, learn and teach, lead and follow, direct and serve. We do this trusting Jesus in others and seeking the loving unity that Jesus prayed for in John 17. The unity that he said would cause the world to know that the Father had sent him. It's time to accept our mission possible, to sharpen our focus, perception and prayer lives, to be aware of what God is doing, a new thing, and follow him in love, unity and respectfulness. Thank you. We're now going to, oh, if you could remain sit, seated, seated uh, we're going to have a song, music on the video, so I just want you just to sit back, listen to the words and, uh, and, me and meditate on what has been said.